life speaking louder than your words. Look at where you spend your money and you'll see a pattern. What you fill your space, your time, your energy, and your money will show a pattern. I used to live in New York. I used to live in Trump Tower, right underneath the Donald. So I've known Donald for 30 years. Crazy guy. So comparison only comes in because you're not engaged with your highest priority. Don't do desperate things if you want to do something inspiring. You've just clouded the clarity of your own mission, which is your highest value. You've lost your mission. I realized how significant human values are in driving people to achieve. Do you have to know your values, John, before you can start to manifest your reality exactly how you want it? You get away with it for a period of time, but eventually your brand is undermined if you don't have sustainable fair exchange for everybody who's participating. And the moment you do, now you have a system that keeps generating income and keeps growing. The magnificence of who you are is far greater than any fantasies you impose on yourself. First things first, guys, before we get started with this podcast, do me a solid favor and subscribe to this on whatever platform you're listening to it right now, whether that's YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate if you just hit that subscribe button and it lets me know that the content that I'm putting out for you guys is hitting your ears at the right time. Much love. This podcast is sponsored by contentremoval.com. So whether you're looking to remove any images, videos, search results, fake Instagram accounts, get in touch with us at contentremoval.com. Welcome back to the Frankie Lee podcast. And today, guys, we have got a treat for you today. We have got the man who's written 43 self-help books. He's been featured on The Secret. He's a, he's a behavioral specialist and one that has helped a massive amount of people in the entrepreneurship space. Dr. John Martini. welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Been looking forward to it. I've been hyped about doing this one for, for for quite a while. John, obviously one of the things that, that you are really good at is helping people get really clear and structured on their values. Because when I've obviously researched a lot of your work and, and read into a lot of what you do, and what, I've watched a, a hell of a lot of videos on you, um, you you say getting clear on your values allows you to align the rest of your life in, in a way that that you you're moving towards your highest good rather than away from it can you just break down how people can really get clear on their values well thank you for that uh 45 years ago when i was 23 going on 24 i realized how significant human values are in driving people to achieve because i noticed that some people would say they want to do something they never did it and other people are getting in there and making it happen. What was the distinction I wanted to know? Then I realized that anytime you set a goal that is not aligned and congruent with what you value most, you decrease the probability of actually achieving it. So I then realized that everybody has a set of priorities, a set of values in their life, and whatever is highest on that list is an intrinsic value where they spontaneously are inspired from within to take action. And as you go down the list, you require, it becomes more extrinsic and you require more external motivation to get you to do it. I use the analogy of a young boy who loves video games. You don't have to motivate him to do the video game. He spontaneously is inspired to do the video game. But you got to motivate him to do his chores, homework, and clean his room. So every human being has a hierarchy of values And finding out what is the highest on that list is where they're going to excel. And if they're pursuing that or seeing how whatever they're pursuing is helping them fulfill that, they won't need motivation. Because motivation is a symptom, not a solution for human beings to achieve. People think it's, I need to get motivated. But that's a symptom. When you are intrinsically driven from within to achieve, you're going to excel. I don't need motivation to teach. I've been doing it 50 years. I do it every single day. So identifying the hierarchy of values of people, is, in, in my opinion, is a very crucial component to know what they're going to excel at and what they're going to need motivation to do. And they're going to stay and have stamina to endure the pains and pleasures and the pursuit of it in their highest values, but they'll give up on things that aren't. But now I've asked the question, well, how do you determine somebody's values? Well, for 45 years, I've looked at all the different value systems. I've read every friggin' book there is on there and, and that topic. And it's weak. And it's a bunch of shoulds and ought tos and supposed tos and got tos and have tos and must about how you're supposed to be, 
Much of the literature on values is about that. But I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in what's intrinsically called inside you to go after. So that's where you're going to excel. And so when you ask people what their values are, they'll tell you a bunch of social idealisms about what it should be or supposed to be. You know, peace and, you know, just a bunch of idealisms. But their life doesn't demonstrate. So I had to go through and find out what exactly does their life really demonstrate? What is their life demonstrating they're committed to? Finding out what that is was the first step. And I created over the years a series of questions to discern that. And I think it's, it's a solid piece of work and it's being used by governments, companies, corporations, people, specialists all over now. But the first value determinant, I found 13 main ones. The first value determinant is space. There's a study called proxemics and your first foot and a half around you is your instrument space, four fits your personal individual space, up to 10 foot is your social space, and beyond 10 foot is about your public space. So things that are proximal and close to you, you value more. Things that aren't valuable, you push away from you. You don't want it around you. So if you look very carefully, the kid who loves video games got his video game around him. He's, he's stuck to that video game all day long. People like me, I'm in front of a computer teaching every day, or I'm in front of researching to try to gather information to teach. So you, you fill your space with what you value most. And so I, I have a series of questions to help <clears throat> discern what is the most consistent, most intimate items, objects, or things or people that you keep in your space, your, your intimate space and close personal space. Like I say, I spend, I'm, I'm within a foot and a half of my computer most of the day because I'm teaching most of the time. I just got off one podcast, this podcast, and another one after this one. So if I look at it, my life demonstrates in my space what's valuable to me, learning and speaking. But I have a lady who, as I was doing interviews on a podcast recently, Kate Strong, who's a champion, world-class leading cyclist in the world. And within a foot and a half of her with three bicycles <laughs> on her podcast. <laughs> she, she holds on to bicycles while she's doing her podcast because it's like, this is her life. You know, she's a cyclist. Where I had a pole vaulter do an interview on me as a champion Olympic medalist pole vaulter. I had pole vaults, poles all over the place. So you fill your space with things that are valuable to you. And that's one indicator. How do you fill your personal space and what's the dominant use of those items? The second one is time. You find time, make time, and create time for things that are really valuable to you. But you run out of time and don't have time for things that aren't. So look at what you do. Now, I spend, <laughs> I can spend 14 hours a day teaching. I just did a conference in 14 hours in Australia just yesterday. And uh, I was in London, but I was doing it through Zoom. But I was 14 hours on it for two days in a row. So I, I mean, if I look at my hours, take all, take the sleep away, take four to six hours of sleep away and put in the hours of a day and how many hours are you putting into whatever you're doing and the number, the thing to spend the most hours on, the second most and the third most tells you what you value. And so mine is teaching. I fill my space with computers and teaching materials and books. So your space and your time are key indicators of what you value. The third one is, is energy. When you're doing something that's extremely high in your values, your energy level goes up. When you're doing things that are low in your values, your energy is drained. And so when you have more energy at the end of the day doing what you love, I mean, you love doing podcasts, I would assume, and you, you get zoomed yeah. by, sometimes you get more energy after the end of the podcast than when you started, I'm, I have no doubt. And when we, I, 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 I love it. Yeah. yeah. On a different level. So yeah. but that's why you go and you, when you're juiced up, you're inspired by it. You're enthused by it because you're raising energy because you're doing something you really love doing that meaningful. Anytime you're doing something high in your values, it's the most meaningful, the most productive, the most inspiring. It's the most fulfilling thing you can do. So your energy goes up. So where is it that, what are you doing in a day, day after day after day where your energy goes up? And you'll find that it matches what you're filling your space and time with. I'm, I'm inspired to do this. 
and being with you. I mean, getting to be with your people. And I mean, I love that. So I'm energized by doing it. My space is here. My energy, my time is here. You know, your life demonstrates it. The fourth one is money. The hierarchy of your values dictates how you manage money, how you spend money, and where your money goes. I had a guy named Greg. <clears throat> he was a bit of a glutton. He spent easily, I, I've seen him spend no less than 200 up to $1,700 a night for dinner. <laughs> and that's including the fancy wines and the multiple, you know, meals that he has. Big guy, 400 pounds. He, I mean, if you calculate what he spends, probably between $1,500 and $2,000 a day on food. So add that up. <laughs> that's $60,000, $50,000 a month on food. His value is eating. He's a connoisseur of fine wines and fine foods. Me? I so your money, so your money is minutes eating. I, I, I spend 10 to 12 minutes, and I've usually got a book in my hand. <laughs> or, you know, I'm listening to a podcast because I want to learn and I want to teach. So where's your money going? Mine goes to investments. I have a value investing. But most of it goes back into this education business. My, my company that's education. But Second most is investments. I have a value on investing. So look at where you spend your money and you'll see a pattern. You'll see a pattern in what you feel, your space, your time, your energy, and your money it will show a pattern. And I'm looking for patterns that are consistent, not the fantasies you hope for. Because when you ask people about their values, they'll, they'll write down what I wish it would be or hope it would be, and you know, what it used to be, but not what it is, what your life demonstrates. That tells you what you value. Your life speaking louder than your words. The fifth one is where are you most ordered and organized? My, my schedule for doing education is full-on bonkers organized. My investments are organized. My travel's organized because, you know, I travel on the ship and I full-time travel around the world. So you look at where you're organized most. Education, researching, investments, traveling for me. But everybody's got a different thing. Some is their time with their kids. Some are social interactions and social media. Some is fitness. But you look at where it is, and there'll be a pattern through all these questions. All of these will lead to the same answers, if you're honest. They'll all be pointing in the same direction. The next one is where you're most disciplined, reliable, and focused. Well, you can count on me. <laughs> My girlfriend, you can count on her to be singing or doing acting. She's a singer and actress and model. You can count on me to be teaching and researching. You can't count on me to go out and work out in the gym every day. I do it once a week. I did it this morning. But once a week, that's all for me. But you can count on some people, would you agree, to be in the gym every day? My girlfriend's in the gym every yeah, single day. She's, she's got to have a perfect bod. She's, she paid for that. And she's got it. But she works out every day. So the hierarchy of your values dictates where you're disciplined, where you're reliable. You can count on me to be teaching somewhere and researching and traveling. You can't count on me to be socializing in a party or, you know, working out in the gym every day or washing a car or driving. I haven't driven in 33 years. I've driven, I haven't driven a car in 33 years. You can't count on me to do that because I have zero value on cars. Zero. I, I have a car service that takes care of me. And, and I, don't, I want to be able to research and write while I'm in the back seat. So you look carefully at what you are disciplined at. That's the first six. The seventh one is what are you thinking about? about how you would love your life to be that shows evidence coming true. What is your, what are you thinking about, about how you would love your life to be that shows evidence? If there's no evidence, you don't write that. If it's not what you would love, you don't write that. People want to write down, well, I have no evidence of it, but I, this is what I want. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in what your life, what you think about, about how you would love your life that shows evidence of coming true. I have been thinking about, since I was 17, traveling the world and becoming a teacher. That's, that's been my main focus consistently for 50 years plus. I mean, it's just been focused. So that's what I do. I travel the world. I've been to 192 countries speaking. 192 countries. I still got another 28 to go. But 192 speaking somewhere in some countries, 192 countries. So I had a dream to travel the world and teach and to research and learn. 
And there's evidence of that. I had a desire to be financially independent. So I'm financially independent times 50. I had a desire to step foot in every country on the face of the earth. So 192 speaking. There's, I've been to more countries not speaking, but with speaking. So what is evidence? You know, I, I also had a fantasy of being an international sex symbol, but there's zero evidence of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have to delegate. I, 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 I tell my girlfriend, I have to delegate to George Clooney to take care of lovemaking for my girlfriend. And she says she loves me even more if I do that, jokingly. I'm, t I'm teasing. But the point is, I don't have any evidence on that. So I can't write down something that I talk about. Oh, I want this. If there's no evidence, it's bullshit. Excuse the expression. It's just bull. I want to know what's what you have life evidence of. The next one is what do you so visualize? What percentage of society? Pardon me? Yeah. So what percentage of society do you think are, are, are not are leaning on values they think they have but don't really have? I've been doing value determination since 45 years. I only met one perfectly congruent individual out of 45 years, a woman out of Israel, only one. The majority of people wow. think they know what they want. Let me give you a, a side adventure here. <clears throat> I was in South Africa speaking at the Success Summit there, about 5,000 something people. I was starting it, Richard Branson was ending it, and they had a bunch of speakers in between. And I got up on stage and they introduced me, I came up on stage, it's first thing in the morning, <clears throat> And I asked, how many of you would love to be financially independent where your passive income exceeds your active income and you're working because you love to, not because you have to? Every hand went up. Two hands. Hands, even a leg went in the air. You know, legs were in the air, right? So that would sort of give you the impression that they believe that's what they want. Would you agree? That's what they, their body language would say, well, that's, that's what it is. But then I asked them a question. What percentage of the population become financially independent? And I heard between 1% and 5%. The truth is it's less than 1%. Now, 99.9999999% of the people all had their hands up. They said they wanted that, but less than 1% make it. I said, isn't that interesting that you all have your hands up and only 1% of you is going to make it? Statistically? Isn't that a discrepancy? Why is there a discrepancy? This is a question I asked 45 years ago. Then I asked him to do a favor. I said, get a piece of paper out and I'm gonna have you write down in one minute, I'm gonna give you 10 million US dollars. And in South Africa, that can go, that's, you could be relatively well off with that, enough to, to survive on that. To give you 10 million US dollars, you have 60 seconds to write down what you would do, the 10 things you would do if you got um, uh, $10 million. I give you 10 million free, tax free. So it's yours. You got 60 seconds, 10 things. Write the 10 things you would do if you got that 10 million right now. Ooh, boy, they were excited. 60 seconds in, stop. Hand it to the person next to you what you just wrote. On the person next to you, I want you to decide how much of that money was spent on consumables that depreciate in value and how much of that is now an asset still going to be working for them make passive income. Between 20 and 80% of the money that I gave them was gone in a minute. And they bought consumables. They bought a house. They bought a car. Nothing that produced income. So they were going, and I explained to them, if you bought and spent the money on consumables that depreciate and not on buying assets that appreciated, that gave you return, passive income, you're not on your way to financial independence. What you're fantasizing when you think of financial independence is the lifestyles of the rich and famous. And that's why most gimmicks sold in the marketplace to tell people how to be wealthy, put pictures of cars and houses and gold and all the fantasies out there in order to get them into the, the presentation which is a sign that they're not interested in wealth building because that's boring. It's interested in the stuff. And as long as they have a higher value on the stuff than they do on actually having their money growing, they're not going to have money growing. They're going to, they're going to blow it. Like Nicholas Cage had $150 million and wiped it out, went bankrupt, right? Wiped it all out. 
He's just now learning how to build wealth and he's back up to 25 million. So the hierarchy of your values dictates your financial destiny. Tell me what your values are. I'll tell you where your money's going to go. So most people think that I want to be financially independent. They all put their hands up. No, they don't. They want to spend their money the second they get it. And that's why they're immediate gratifying consumables, buying other people's brands, living vicariously through other people's brands is keeping them from ever building a brand that actually produces a great income for them to be financially independent. So that's why so I want to know their values. Now I get that every week. <laughs> every week people tell me one thing and then I go and do a value determination. Is it, is it what, what, is that what you came to? And they go, no. I said, well, it's time to ground yourself because if you're, if you're setting goals and it's not matching your values, you have an incongruency and you're not likely to achieve. So you either got to change the values to match the goals or the goals to match the values or otherwise you've got, a, you've got an internal conflict inside you. Now, let me go to the next one. The, the next one is what is your vision about how you would love your life to be that shows evidence coming true? I have a vision. I can show you a vision that I, I had since 17 I'll pull it up here just for fun here, if you don't mind me taking a second. That's all right. This is this is a is this vision. This is a card you've written it on. No, this is a painting. I had a famous painter out of Melbourne, Australia, create the vision I had when I was seventeen. That's a million people in a square. I'm standing on a balcony and every iconic building from every major city in the world is in the background. It's called a man with I a mission that. has a vision and a message. And you, and you've put that as you, as your screensaver on your phone and everything. Yeah. Well, it's not the screensaver, but it's, it's, I have that, that sits in my office. When you walk in my office, that's, that's the entry because it's the vision I had when I was 17 to travel the world and go to every country in the face of the earth. So it's not a, a neat idea. It's my life's work, my life's vision. And so when people really have a vision that's truly congruent and inspiring, that vision comes true. That's true. I'm reaching people all over the world. We reach billions of people now because of this. So I'm absolutely certain that you can set something that is really truly an inspiring vision that you dominate your thought on it. When it see, whatever's highest on your value, you automatically dominate your thought on it. And the, 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 whenever you're setting a goal that's congruent with your highest value, the, the blood glucose and oxygen goes into the medial prefrontal cortex and the forebrain. And that area is lit up and has associations with the visual cortex. And you see the vision. Those with the vision flourish. You see it. You see it in your mind's eye. So I want to know what are you seeing? I want to know what are you thinking? I want to know next is what are you internally dialoguing with yourself about? What's going on inside? See, I've been saying to myself that I'm an international professional speaker traveling all over the world, inspiring millions of people across the planet since I was 20. Since I was 18, I've seen that vision. And I've said to the universe is my playground. The world is my home. Every country is a room in the house. Every city is a platform to share my heart and soul with people. So you have internal dialogues about how you would love your life that shows evidence coming true. Those are what I'm interested in. If there's no evidence, it's fantasies. I joke about the international sex symbol. <clears throat> I'm not an international sex symbol. That's not really important to me. I spend more time reading and studying and teaching than I ever do having sex with somebody. But I have a beautiful girlfriend <laughs> that's hot and sexy. <laughs> but, but I'm not an international sex symbol because that would be distracting. You know, that would be totally distracting from what I'm up to. And it would be it's hard enough to handle one female, let alone tons of females. <clears throat> That's not my focus. But the point is that I can make those fantasies up, but it's not, if you sit down and write down as fantasies and you don't have any objective proof that you're making progress on it and metricing it, it's a fantasy and it's distracting. And your life will be a nightmare comparing your life currently to what the fantasy is. So I don't want fantasies. I want objectives. And most people don't know the distinction between them. And then they are beating themselves up going, thinking I'm sabotaging because they're going after fantasies because they're going after things that they admire in other people instead of looking inside. We're not here to compare ourselves to others. We're here to compare our daily actions to what we value most and to see how congruent we are and how integral we are and how inspired we are because we're inspired by our highest values. The next one is what do we converse with other people about? 
You know, if, if people come up to you and they'll, if they're high value on children, they'll go, how are your children? If they have a high value on golf, they'll go, how's your golf game? If they have a high value on business, they'll go, how's the business going? If they have a high value on wealth, they'll say, well, how's your investments? If they have a high value on your social life, they go, have you, who are you meeting? Or, you know, who are you hanging out with? Whatever is valuable, you want to talk about. It's natural to want to converse about things that are most important to us. So look at what you keep bringing the conversation to, or if somebody talks about it, you're engaged. We've all been at a social party that's a bit boring sometimes, and you're about to go home, and all of a sudden you meet somebody, and they start talking about what's important, and you can stay there for the next two hours. You're engaged again. <clears throat> but finding out what engages you in conversation, thats all these will all point to the same series of values, the same answers, if you're honest. And I'm looking for congruency. And most people don't want to, they're afraid of it. They're afraid of not fitting into what they think their mentor is, or they're afraid of not fitting yeah. into whoever they admire. They're, they're stuck in the herd mentality instead of being heard. The next one is what is it that inspires them and brings tears of inspiration in moments of authenticity? You know, when I've been standing on the shoulders of reading the great philosophers, the Nobel Prize winners, the great thinkers, the great business leaders, anybody that's done something extraordinary, when I read about their lives and I get to meet them, because I've met over 4,000 people that have made major differences in the world, I get inspired. They'll bring tears to my eyes talking to them about how they overcame challenges and how they conquered their, their objectives. What is it that inspires you? In mine, it's been mainly learning. I've, I've been inspired by all the Nobel Prize winners and all the great thinkers throughout time. Or any, anybody who's got in a highly intelligent strategy in any field. I am just absolutely in, in, engaged in that. On the next one, did you then look at what are the three most consistent, persistent goals you've had that are absolutely being knocked out of the ballpark? What are the three most consistent, persistent goals you're knocking out of the ballpark and it's happening? Massive evidence is showing up. <clears throat> In my case, it's teaching, writing. I've written God knows how many books. You know, we've got 43 that are just self-help books, but there's over 100 books that I've written. I'm writing every single day, textbooks and all kinds of books. So I look at what my life demonstrates. That's where my value is. <clears throat> and the last one is what is it you can't wait to study, read, learn, and fill your mind with? You know, if, if you have a high value on children, you're going to be going to the children's book section. If you have a high value in, in, uh, in business, you're going to go to the book sections in business when they had bookstores. Now it's, you're getting things online on Amazon. But you're going to, or on just blogs, you're watching blogs. What are you feeding your mind? What's the most common things you want to feed your mind? You thirst for want to know. That tells you what your values are. If you take those 13 questions and take three answers for each, and you will see a pattern in the answers and look at how frequent the answers are. The ones that are most frequent, second most and third most frequent will be a great reflection of what your values are. And then if you ask people, and I've done it over 100,000 people easily, how right now, how many of you can see that what showed up as number one, can you see that your identity revolves around it? Every hand goes up. How many of you feel that your purpose is pointed in that direction? The hand goes up. How many of you realize that that's where you're excellent and you have the greatest knowledge base? The hands are all up. Because it's your epistemological, teleological, and ontological pursuits are all those that highest value. So that's where we're going to excel. That's why every seminar I talk, every podcast, I'm going to be talking about values. Because people want to achieve what they want in fulfillment in life. And it, fulfilling your highest values is one of the most fulfilling things a human being can do. So would you say then that because obviously I, I, I obviously love the, the podcast, it's, it's what I think about most of the time. I'm always out there trying to have conversations with people like yourself. I've got to the top 1% in the world as a, as, as a podcaster. Now, obviously, I want to go to the top 0.1%. That's my vision. I've held it in my mind ever since the day I started, John. The, 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 the issue I've had around the, the podcast for, for me on a personal level, and I, and I want to know what you think about this in terms of values, is the fact that like, I, I, I love it, but I've never compromised any part of it for money. Therefore, I've never made any, any uh, ethical money out of the podcast. So, it's, so, it's, so I have to go outside of the podcast and do a, a, an online business that isn't my passion to fund what is my passion. So where have I got to realign with my values there so that I can well, send it to the next level? There, there, you may have associated financially, because I don't know enough 
about your life. You may have associated financially uh, associations with making money has somehow got more drawbacks and benefits. If you allowed yourself, I mean, Jordan Peterson is pretty popular, right? And Jordan has yeah. a podcast, but he's got a he's got a commercial. He's got companies that are basically uh, endorsing him, and and he's not doing the ad. They're putting an ad through his system and putting an ad on there, and he's making money and revenue that way. I've without even doing anything, YouTube started paying me for mine. I, I didn't even I didn't even pursue it, but. Somehow they started paying. They started doing putting ads on some of the things that are on there. So that's generating pretty good money there. I, I didn't even know about it. I just got started getting checks. Somebody in my system, because I got people delegated, they must have done something to put that in place. But there's also upselling on my case, education or books or you know products or. So if you don't have a value on commercializing it, why not? It, if it allows people to uh, get a hold of information and then be able to, because if they hear it and it's gone in an hour and they don't have a way of getting back to it or, or putting it into operation or putting it into practical application, they're not getting the most out of what you can offer them. So there's, there's, there's a wisdom in making sure that you make it as, as efficiently, effectively, viably, you know, usable for people. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with having people that want to sponsor you, that believe in you. That having somebody sponsor that or people, you know, sponsored by that. And it's an advertising. This podcast is sponsored by these companies. There's ways of doing it. You're maybe you're more of a people person, want to just interact and everything else. But maybe finding somebody who has that knowledge around you and put them in your team and letting them structure that so you don't have to focus on it. I don't do it. I have other people that focus on it. All I do is teach, research, write and travel. That's it. Nothing else. Everything else is delegated. But you put the people on, on, on in the place that can help do that. They can make you more viable, and you can reach more people that way with more message and yeah. get it to last. I, 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 I resonate with that fully because it's something that's been my biggest struggle is the fact of like, you know, just eat. I get a lot of offers to, to do things, but I, I never follow through with any of it because I always have a separation between me and the thing. Cause it's, cause it's like when it's, when it's your passion, when you love it, when you, it lights you up on a different level of being, it's kind of, you kind of feel a little, I, f I felt a little bit like deflated by doing it, but I understand what you're saying. There's, there's a, it, I, I'm just, my highest value must be communicating with people and putting out That's knowledge it. and teaching and well, learning. My I, you know, it was, I was 27 years old and was a, practicing as a doc, and I was teaching pretty well seven days a week at the time. And I didn't have any financial savvy at all. I made money, and then I spent it on books. <laughs> I used to buy 40 to 70 books a week. I was going to seminars. I was educating myself, going to professional school. Most of it was spent on what I was doing. And I didn't have it. It wasn't until I got a wife and I realized she's going to want to spend some money. I better figure out how to make some money here. And the kids and, you know, the house and all that stuff. I started to go, well, I, I better learn about this because this is this is cost, right? Well, I, at age 27, I realized, do I want to work my life as a slave for money or do I want my money to work for me and become its master? That was a decision I made at 27. And then I said, well, here I am studying everything about physiology and about psychology and everything else, but and I haven't really studied a study on finance. So I decided I was going to ask, how is studying finance going to help people in their life, help them become less stressed? And I, and I realized there are seven basic areas of life. We have a spiritual quest, an intellectual quest, a business quest, a financial quest, a family quest, a social quest, a health quest, right? I said, well... They're inseparable as far as I'm concerned. Your health can undermine your business. Your business can undermine your health. If you don't have finance, you can undermine your relationship. People divorce people because they didn't make enough money. So I realized I better master all of those. I want to master all of them because otherwise I'm not going to help people master their life. So I decided to go on a learning curve, basically, of finance. Started reading, 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 and getting some mentorship and everything else. And then I realized it's, I don't even have to do anything. All I did is automated a, a financial savings process and 
increase the savings and increase the investing on a quarterly basis. I, I really simple. I mean, I've, I taught somebody in 15 minutes what I did. But that's simple. And all of a sudden, as I was managing money wisely and starting to value it, more money was coming to me. And all of a sudden, as it was coming in, I was valuing me, so people started valuing me. Unbelievable. More and more things. Uh, book royalties started coming in. Book deals started coming in. Speaking opportunities came in. Clients' referrals started coming in. People wanted to leverage the brand. I mean, all kind of stuff started coming in. And I became financially independent. It took about nine years, but I was financially independent. And then for the last, I'm now 69 almost. So over the last, you know, 35, 40 years, that turned out to be, I'm, I don't have to work. I live on this magnificent yacht sailing around the world doing education every day. And I, but my dream was to be able to do what I absolutely love to do, not because I have to, but because I love to. Doing something you love to do on a daily basis and having the money come in and take care of all that and be philanthropic with it is unbelievable fulfilling. Struggling on that, stressful. So I, I wanted to learn finance because I wanted to be able to help other people because there's a lot of people that wanted to help help in that area. And because it was that way freed me up to go and do what I love to do. So that that's why I, yeah. I, I put a value on it. And, it. and it's not really rocket science. I think there's financial brokers out there to want to scare you into thinking it's so complex, you know, you need to give them the money to do it. That's not true. Even Charlie Munger did a great video on that and talked about how simple it really can be. And people make it really complex. But all I know is that I'm very grateful that I, I learned how to make it where I was viable. I went to uh, where Mozart was when he was growing up as a, as a kid and everything else. And he was, you know, becoming known, you know, gradually. And I found out something really cool. An insurance company leveraged Mozart and that's when he started to become famous. It wasn't until he commercialized himself. And I realized, hmm, a lot of things don't get... Great geniuses sometimes are not recognized until they find a way of making it where it's a commercially viable system. They don't want to sacrifice their genius for, for commercialism. They just want to commercialize their genius. And that's a, keeping the, the forefront of what you're love doing at the forefront but finding people that can show you how to do the others and take care of that for you so you can do what you love doing is liberating. That's, that, that's really powerful because obviously the fact of is that Mozart wouldn't have even been in the place where he's publicly famous unless he had monetized what he was doing, unless he, unless he started to monetize Some, his content, well, his paintings. It wasn't even him. It was somebody outside him that started monetizing him. <laughs> I had a guy in, in Australia who heard me speak one night. <clears throat> And he looked at his, his buddy and his guy said, he says, we could make a fortune off this guy. And he, and he says, we want to do some promotion for you. I said, fantastic. And he says, what's your fee? I said this. He said, great. They made probably five, six, sometimes 10 times more than I did. I didn't care. I was getting paid handsome. And they were being paid handsome. So for 15 years, they promoted and did business until something happened in the guy's life that he had to go and do something different. He had a health issue. But the point is, all of a sudden, they somebody else that has a higher value on the finance can figure out a way of leveraging your genius, and they can make, and you can win. Everybody wins. It's just allowing that, allowing the mindset to be open to that receptivity and allowing somebody to come in to be able to, who knows how to do that and say, great. And give them a percentage of it. Let them run with it. Let them take care of it for you. Do you have to know your values, John, before you can start to manifest your reality exactly how you want it? I, I can't say you must and have to know it. It's just being conscious of it. It gives you competitive advantage. There are people out there that their life is demonstrating what they're valuable, but they're not necessarily paying attention to it. You know, I mean, I, I've seen sports people. I've worked with a lot of sports people. They just love their their game. They know they know that they're, but they don't know anything about business. And I, I I spoke at Tony's restaurant in Houston, Texas, to thirteen Super Bowl players. We had a, a thirteen people at a table, thirteen Super Bowl players, all broke. All agents took all their money. 
because all they wanted to do is play ball. And they live, and the agent got them a big house, and they they did. I mean, they, you know, they were they wanted to make sure that they looked the part. But at the end, when they got forties, you know, they couldn't play football again. They had to start over and go get a job somewhere. It was really crazy. They didn't have a value on it. And I I thought, do you mind if I just spend a day with you guys and just talk about how you could leverage yourself and the skills you still have and the the name you still still have before it's gone. And we started talking about it. And I can't say everybody did it. Probably seven out of 10, maybe six out of 10 went out leveraging it. But, but some people just don't have that thinking process. And so a lot of sports people do it. Even doctors, I, you'd be surprised how many doctors don't make any decent money, but they're great in clinicians, but they're not business people. So somehow without a person who's got a business savvy or a financial savvy to be able to help leverage great skills and talents that are social and articulate skills like yourself, somehow having them in the equation or having them as mentoring or whatever to structure it for somebody you delegate it to. I delegate it. I don't do it. I just have people doing things and I get other people. I, I send them off to get mentored by people who know how to do that and let them take care of it for me so I can teach, research, write, and travel. That's all I want to do. And, and you and you find I, I read somewhere that you find out the values of all your staff as well so that you know that they're truly aligned with the role. Well, I did that. I've delegated that. Management is now taking care of that, but they do that. We don't hire anybody without knowing what their values are because nobody goes to work for the sake of a company. They go to work to fulfill what they value most. If they can't see how the job description is helping them fulfill what they value most, they're not engaged. <clears throat> and you're going to have to micromanage them and push them uphill and they're not going to be experts. Many people hire people that are less competent than them so they can feel important, I guess. But the real truth is you want somebody who knows way more about it. I mean, my IT guys knows a hundred times, no, a thousand times more than I do about IT. And the social media people know way more than I know about social media. I, I, I didn't have a cell phone until two years ago. <laughs> the only reason I got a cell phone is because there's a guy from India that said, I want you to speak, but it needs to be on WhatsApp. I go, what the hell's WhatsApp? I didn't even know about it. And my, I called my daughter and says, you know anything about WhatsApp? She's, of course, dad, come on, get, get with it, man. <clears throat> and I said, well, can you organize a WhatsApp just for me to do a talk? So I don't hardly use this thing except for research. I use my phone for researching and talking to my girlfriend, my kids, my director, and occasionally WhatsApp. That's it. I don't use it. I don't, I don't get distracted by social medias and all that stuff like most people do. I put things out on it, but I don't get distracted by it. I want to be able to do what I love doing, teach, research, write, travel. That's it. And do you think then that most people are distracting themselves to keep themselves away from their own truth, so to speak? Well, when you're not living by your highest values, the unfulfillment puts you into your amygdala and the amygdala wants immediate gratification and immediate gratification is easily distracted by impulses that you seek and instincts that you're trying to avoid. So that's a symptom. If you don't fill your day with high priority actions and inspire you that's highest on your values, your day is going to fill up with low priority distractions and your amygdala is going to come online instead of your executive function. And that's where most people are trapped. They're distracted by everybody else and they're worried about what, what other people think and do and, and they're comparing themselves to other people instead of comparing their actions to their own dreams. So, so what? So, so comparison only comes in because you're not engaged with your highest priority. Well, you, you tell me when you're absolutely focused on a guest and you're focused on a thing, are you thinking about anything else? No, no, not at all. No, you're on. You're you're in the zone, and that's why you've done extremely well because you're in that zone. That's why you're great at what you do. <clears throat> but if you were not inspired by what you do, and I'm amazed. I used to live in New York. We used to live in Trump Tower, right underneath the Donald. So I've known Donald for 30 years. Crazy guy. <clears throat> but we sometimes, we'd have a car service if you're going to the airport and going to a specific location. But sometimes we would get in a cab. And I would sometimes ask the cab drivers, how long have you been driving a cab, man? And they'll look in the rear view mirror and they'll say, two years, five years, or whatever. I said, do you love it? And they'll they'll, they'll look up and they'll go, Pays the bills, man. And it's a dirty cab. And sometimes I won't even get in the cabs if they're that filthy, right? They're not inspired. 
But occasionally you get in, about one out of seven, you get in a cab and go, how long have you been driving a cab? It says, oh, 14 years. My father did it. My grandfather did it. We come from a cab family. I go, wow. Clean, immaculate, spotless cab. They have a card says, anywhere you need to go, I know every city in this place. I know history. I know buildings. You, you, I'm your guy. If you need a cab, I'll do it. You call me 24 hours a day. I'll, I'll, find, I'll get up for you. Okay? He's inspired. Now, am I going to refer to him? Yep. I'll get a bunch of his cards. Am I going to refer to that filthy cab that just does it because he has to? Nope. People who are engaged naturally, organically tend to thrive. People who are disengaged survive. Survival or thrival, what do you want? Knowing your values is crucial. And I suppose it's, and it's separate, and it's separate, it allows society to separate the people that should be doing the, the action, i.e. you teaching what you teach, me podcasting. It allows, it allow, it's society will just naturally separate those two things and, and don't try to do it. move through don't it. Don't be a cat trying to climb, you know, don't be a cat trying to swim like a fish. And don't be a fish trying to climb a tree like a cat. Give yourself permission to be who you are. Your core competence. My core, sex isn't my core competence. <laughs> I'm a good lover <laughs> with my girlfriend, but I don't have, I don't spend my day thinking about sexuality with all, you know, international sex. Stuff. I joke about that. It's just a joke. People laugh at it because they know it's a joke. Because they know I'm sitting in front of a book most of the time. But, I've read 30,700 and something texts. You know, I've been doing reading for 50 years. So my life demonstrates that. My life doesn't demonstrate the other. So finding out what that your life demonstrates you spontaneously do and excel at that. I, I had a guy that uh, I met and he was attending my seminar one time, the Breakthrough Experience, which is my signature program. Where I help people break through whatever they think is in their way and get on with it. And um, the guy was talking, talk, 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 talk. And I said, I'm going to make a statement here. You may not like it, but you need to be in the talk business. He says, why do you say that? And I said, because you're fucking talking. <laughs> you're talking nonstop. <laughs> why don't you get paid for doing that? No? Yeah. And he, he did it. He listened. And he's got a huge podcast now in Australia. And he's written book. And he's doing well. And this is just a few years ago. So... He is right now, he tells that story on his show. He says, I was sitting there floundering out doing these other kind of jobs. And then I, some guy told me that I can't stop talking. Why don't I get in the talk business? And he's got a great voice. So he's now doing voiceovers in addition to talking. So he does commercials. So he's now leveraging his, you know, Ricardo in economics said that every country has resources. It gives it a comparative and competitive advantage. But every human being has a comparative and competitive advantage. And I guarantee you, I've been studying this 50 years, your highest value is always your comparative and competitive advantage, Sis. That's where you go. If you look there, that's where you're going to have your greatest talent. Finding a way, I think so whatever that is, in a way that serves ever greater numbers of people is my skill. Helping people capitalize on that. Because whatever it is, there's a way of making a fortune out of it. There's a way of making a fortune out of it. And I think so many people have this perception of they think they love something, but they don't really love it. They're just loving it because they see someone else in their network doing it, someone, someone else in their friendship. I mean, how, how pivotal has been um, association that you see where people are associated with certain types of people that are, are projecting their values onto them, which means that they have a false perception of what even their actual values are because they think it's this, but it's not, it's that. Well, it's not a projection. There's a difference. There's a difference between projection and injection. It's an injection of that other individual's values into their life. See, the second, right, okay. think about this. Uh, somewhere in your life, Frank, you probably met a, I'm assuming, a hot chick somewhere that turned you on. Am I, am, am I, <laughs> I met a few, John. <laughs> okay. So you probably met this hot chick. Now think of the hot chick that you were so enamored with and so infatuated with that you did weird, weird stuff to be with her. That was not your normal stuff. Incongruent. Yeah. Incongruent. Like I met this Spanish model, phenomenally beautiful girl, 
when I was 20 years old. My day consisted of studying physics, chemistry, um, biology, pre-med, you know, you know, organic chemistry. I mean, mine was the sciences. I found myself once I met her doing pom-pom dancing. <laughs> like left field. And I thought, wow, I've injected her values for fear of losing her. I was so infatuated. See, anytime you're infatuated with somebody, you get a philia and then you have a phobia of losing it. So you don't want to lose that. So you'll sacrifice what's important to you to be with them and you inject their values and they become the source of the superego. And you now are subordinating to this individual that you put on a pedestal. And Ralph Waldo Emerson said, envy is ignorance and imitation is suicide. You know, trying to envy and try to imitate somebody else is foolish. It's futile. You can't do it without eventually building up resentment and going, I want my life back. That's always what happens. Now, the other side of the equation, if you put somebody down, <clears throat> you tend to project your values onto them and try to get them to live in your values. You should do this. You ought to be doing this. So anytime you hear yourself saying, I should, I ought to, I'm supposed to, I got to, I have to, I must, and I need to, you've injected a value from some outer authority that you've looked up to in business or intellectual or financial or in family or social or physical or, health or spiritual. And the second you do, you've just clouded the clarity of your own mission, which is your highest value. You've lost your mission. You've lost your soul, as they say, distracted because of comparisons. We're not here to compare. We're not here to put people on pedestals. We're here to go and find out whatever we admire in them, find out where that is already inside us and wake it up and thank them for making us aware of what we've been denying in ourselves. We've been too humble to admit what we see in them inside us and then stand on their shoulder and thank them, but not imitate them and not try to be like them. That's foolish. You'll be second at somebody else instead of being first to be in you. And I suppose that's where frustration as, as an energy level comes into your path because you, you, you and you don't know why you're frustrated but the reason you what the reason why you're frustrated is because you are not acting in in the highest level of consciousness for yourself that's right? it you're trying to be somebody you're not any every symptom every symptom in physiology and i could go into the details of the physiology the autonomics the epigenetics i could go into it in fast detail Every symptom in your physical body, every symptom in your psychological behavior, every symptom in your sociological feedback from society, and every symptom in your business is a feedback to let you know you're not authentic. That's what it's trying to tell you. You're exaggerating yourself. See, if you puff yourself up and exaggerate yourself and think you're too proud to admit what you see in somebody inside you, you'll talk down to your customer, you'll talk down to your employees, you'll talk down to your spouse, you'll be a big shot that will eventually pride before the fall will happen. And if you minimize yourself, you'll sacrifice profits, you'll have anarchy in your business, and you'll play underdog, and then they'll go out and have an affair on you. So it's trying to teach you how to have equanimity within yourself and equity between yourself and others. And to see that the seer, the seeing, and the seen are the same between you and other people and level the playing field. The moment you do, you have sustainable fair exchange, which is maximum potential and maximum productivity for human beings. So we're not here to put people on pedestals or pits. We're here to put them in a heart. We're not here to be narcissistic by looking down on people and trying to get something for nothing or altruistic and sacrifice for others and give something for nothing. We're here to have sustainable fair exchange where we have something where we both want to come back to the table in relationships, in our relationship with our kids, relationship with our business, our employees, etc. The, fa the fair exchange is the key thing there because if it's not in fair exchange, again, that is where that frustrated point comes in from one party or the other. And that's why it's so critical when you, when you, do, when you do business or when you do a podcast or when you do anything else that there has to be, like if you're giving, 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 but not receiving, receiving, there well, has to be some receiving involved you, as well. No, you deserve to receive fairly. You deserve to receive because otherwise you'll burn out trying to give, 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 give. You, you want to do both. You want to have fair exchange on it. Let me give you an example of Bezos, Jeff Bezos. <clears throat> you know, he studied that guy from Japan on Sony, and he saw how important to have a vision that's bigger than just a company, a whole country vision, as Sony did. But he also decided he was going to be the most customer-centric company in America. That was his focus. And he did. And Amazon became a behemoth. It became a giant uh, entity because of that. But he wasn't employee-centric. 
He was customer centric. And he was making sure the customer got a package deal that they couldn't get anywhere else. And he grew massive numbers of customers. But he wasn't employee centric. So eventually the employees said, you know, this isn't working for us. We're working long hours, not getting paid enough. So they got together and created a Teamsters union to go against him. This is just a few years ago. And then all of a sudden he had to go and get employee centric also. So then what happens is he got customer centric that that blew it out of the water that blew it made him money. But he then had to get employee centric to make sure he had sustainable employees, quality employees that people would want to go work for. But then when he did that and he gave them more, then all of a sudden the stockholders are saying, well, wait a minute now, we were making this type of profit. So end up he having to lower a little bit of his profits to make sure that stockholders got it. So he had to be stockholder centric. So nature is going to keep creating symptoms wherever there's not a fair, a sustainable fair exchange. Eventually it bites you. You can get away with it for a period of time, but eventually your, your brand is undermined if you don't have sustainable fair exchange for everybody who's participating. And the moment you do, now you have a system that keeps generating income and keeps growing. And it's a science. So finding out your authentic self is not exaggerated. It's not minimized. It's not narcissistic. It's not altruistic. It's fair exchange. The true authentic you is into sustainable fair exchange. I love that. I love that because you're right. It's so succinct that if it's not, then you've got this you've got chaos in some area of your life and the cat and the chaos essentially is where you put yourself into a lower vibration. So how obviously people can, how can people get themselves into the, into the highest vibration most of the time then is it, is it, it, it there's got to be something else on top of the values that stacks that, that makes that happen at a more consistent basis. No, it's, it's all value based. All there is, is asking yourself this question. What is the highest priority action I can do today that will serve the greatest number of people in the most efficient, effective manner with the resources I have access to today? If I stick to highest priority actions and delegate everything else, I, I made a law. I learned at 27, don't do desperate things if you want to do something inspiring. Don't do desperate things. So I anything that requires me to be motivated to do, reminded or incentivized to do, I delegate. I find somebody that loves doing that and free that up and, and stay with my core competence. Stay where I, where I absolutely love spontaneously doing it. So if you're not delegating, you can't possibly live an inspired life without some sort of delegation because you're going to be doing too many things that aren't the most inspiring things in your life, weighing you down. I've taught people that are at home as mothers, the same thing. And people are out there or husbands that are at home because it could be that way too. But if you're not prioritizing what you're doing and living by highest priorities and doing the things that inspire you spontaneously and excelling at it, your energy is going to drop. Your enthusiasm is going to drop. There are six transcendental feelings that occur when you're living by priority. You're grateful for your job. You love what you're doing. You're inspired by the vision. You're enthusiastically working. You're present with the client and you're certain about your skill. All of those give you excellence and give you, put you in the top ranks. I love that. I, lo I especially love that, that quote, that, that statement. If you're, whoever's listening to this, write that statement that John said down because that statement cuts through everything for you in all parts of your life. John, the question I ask all the guests and I, I really want to ask you because it's such a such a powerful thing that that that, that cuts through a lot of noise for a lot of people when you, when you when people like yourself drop these statements is if you had to check out of the world tomorrow and you can't leave any of the books, any of the information or anything, but you could just leave one powerful impactful statement that will move everyone in this audience that one two three percent forward in their life what would it be the magnificence of who you are is far greater than any fantasies you'll impose on yourself give yourself permission to be you and shine not shrink and don't compare yourself to any human being on this planet compare your own actions to your own dream your own highest valued based dream and stick to the highest priority actions every day all of a sudden you're going to end up leading the pack in whatever field it is by doing so. You know, it was uh, the guy that was Phelps. He got 22 gold medals or whatever. They were doing an interview with him and his coach. And he says, when I'm standing, when I'm about to jump in the water and I'm in pose, if I look right or left, I don't get my medal. If I look forward and I hold my vision and I do what I trained for, I get my medal. 
don't compare yourself to people above or below you. Just compare your own actions to what's inside your heart. That is powerful. And that is Dr. John Martini. I just want to say that 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 obviously hit it out of the ballpark on all levels for me. Honestly, that means a lot for you, a lot to me for you coming on here. And I appreciate it. Guys, go to uh, drjohndmartini.com if you want to if you want to see John's work, if you want to align your values because John's got a real good um thing on there that that helps you align your values and get that straight do me a favor drop john a message drop me a message let us know how that podcast went for you and i appreciate every single one of you listen like subscribe share it on every platform and much love thank you john thank you thanks for the great interview guys do me a solid favor drop a comment below this video and let us know who you want on the podcast next (laughs) 